Hi, listeners. It's Vanessa. For years, ParCast has worked tirelessly to bring you an unprecedented look at history's most radical true crime events. Your support has not only allowed us to keep exploring these stories, but has driven us to keep expanding as well. So as a thank you to the ParCast listeners, I am honored to announce the release of our first book, Cults, Inside the World's Most Notorious Groups and Understanding the People Who Joined Them. It's available on July 12th, and you can pre-order it today at parcast.com cults. The Branch Davidians, the Ant Hill Kids, Heaven's Gate, and more. Cults combs through the terrifying details never explored in any of Parcast's series before. This is a passion project only made possible by you. So we truly hope you'll enjoy it. Visit parcast.com slash cults to pre-order your copy of Cults, Inside the World's Most Notorious Groups and Understanding the People Who Joined Them. Due to the graphic nature of this dictator's reign, listener discretion is advised. This episode includes discussions of incest and murder. We advise extreme caution for children under 13. It was late 48 BCE, and 21-year-old Cleopatra was in exile. After nearly three years as Egypt's pharaoh, a royal conspiracy had driven her out of power. Now, her 14-year-old brother, Theos, was sitting on her throne. But Cleopatra refused to go down without a fight. After raising an army of mercenaries, Cleopatra marched toward the Egyptian capital of Alexandria to overthrow Theos. Along the way, she received some good news. Julius Caesar, leader of the Roman Empire, was in Alexandria. If Cleopatra could meet Caesar in person, perhaps she could win him over. Cleopatra knew that she would have to use deception to get to Caesar. If she were spotted in the city streets, Theos's guards would arrest her immediately and likely execute her. So, with the help of a Sicilian merchant, Cleopatra rolled herself up in a rug. In the dead of night, the merchant delivered her past the guards and into the royal palace. Once inside, the rolled tapestry was brought straight to Caesar. Caesar couldn't believe his eyes when the merchant unrolled the rug and out-tumbled Cleopatra. He was immediately captivated by her boldness, as well as her wit and charm. In just one night, Cleopatra won over the most powerful man in the Mediterranean. Unfortunately, when Theos heard of their new alliance, he ordered the Egyptian army to lay siege to Alexandria. Cleopatra had successfully infiltrated her own palace, but now she was trapped. Welcome to Dictators, a Spotify original from Parcast. I'm Richard. And I'm Kate. You can find all episodes of Dictators and all other Spotify originals from Parcast for free on Spotify. Today we're exploring the life of Cleopatra VII, one of the last powerful pharaohs of ancient Egypt. She was considered intelligent, charismatic, and cunning. But Cleopatra struggled to maintain Egypt's independence in the face of Roman imperialism. 
This week, we're diving into the bloody history of Cleopatra's family, the chaotic early years of her reign, and the precarious alliance with Julius Caesar. Next week, we'll look at the luxurious spectacle of her court, her affair with Mark Antony, and her important role in the final years of the Roman Republic. We'll have all that and more coming up. Stay with us. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. It feels like we're all being told to go on this diet, take that supplement. Ozempic will give you depression, but you know what'll cure that? Weed. Or you could try to balance your hormones. At Science Versus, we're like, what the f*** is going on? Forget the crap online and listen to Science Versus. Just the facts. Oh, and a bunch of stupid jokes. What is a ghost's favorite fruit? Booberries. That's Science VS. New season out on Spotify soon. I'm Tanya Mosley. In 1987, my sister Anita vanished without a trace. Decades later, thanks to DNA, we found her. But that's only the beginning of the story. She Has a Name is a new audio documentary that explores the search for redemption, confronting trauma, and healing in the face of unimaginable loss. Subscribe now to Truth Be Told presents She Has a Name, where every revelation brings us closer to the truth. Cleopatra VII is one of the most famous leaders of ancient Egypt. No other Egyptian queen has been written about or depicted in popular fiction more frequently than her. She was celebrated for her wit and charm and feared for her unwavering clutch onto power. Upon taking the throne, she made sure she held on to it. This was often difficult, as her rule coincided with Rome's rise from a republic to an imperialist power in the Mediterranean. As Rome set its sights on Egyptian territory, Cleopatra found her position in jeopardy. It seemed she might be the last pharaoh to rule over the ancient kingdom and the final name in the 300-year-old Ptolemaic dynasty. This dynasty was founded by Ptolemy I Soter, a Macedonian general who served Alexander the Great. When Alexander died in 323 BCE, his empire was thrown into chaos. Amid a decades-long power vacuum, Ptolemy seized Egypt, naming himself king in 305 BCE. Ptolemy's rise shifted the dynamics of Egyptian society. Macedonian Greeks now filled the ruling class, including soldiers, government officials, and merchants. Meanwhile, Egyptians were forced into lower classes, with most of the population becoming peasants almost overnight. As such, Greek culture swept over Egypt, especially in the cosmopolitan capital of Alexandria. Though the Ptolemy dynasty increasingly influenced Egyptian society, that didn't mean they completely ignored tradition. On the contrary, they adapted to certain customs as a means to control their power. Most crucially, the Ptolemies took on the title of pharaoh and patronized the temples of the Egyptian gods. 
This was done to placate the priestly social class, who were the most powerful and influential native Egyptians. The Ptolemies also adopted the royal habit of marrying their brothers, sisters, or other close relatives to co-rule the kingdom. This way, the power could firmly remain within the dynasty. However, incestuous marriage often led to barbaric rivalries and blood feuds. Even compared to other ancient kingdoms, the violence within the Ptolemaic court was remarkable. Ptolemy VIII, for instance, was particularly ruthless. He had his own son kidnapped and executed in front of him. Then he had the body dismembered and sent to the boy's mother on her birthday. For many members of the dynasty, bloodshed was considered necessary to keep the throne. Whoever held the title of pharaoh controlled Egypt's wealth, and the nation was very wealthy. There were two main sources for Egypt's vast fortune, gold and the Nile River. For thousands of years, the gold mines of Nubia helped make Egypt one of the leading gold exporters in the world. Meanwhile, the Nile River expanded the kingdom's agricultural bounty. The river's yearly flooding provided very fertile soil. As a result, there was generally an abundance of surplus crops that could be exported every year. Still, the Ptolemies were never able to harness this wealth to build up an Egyptian empire. Instead, they spent most of their revenue just holding on to power, as assassinations and rebellion became all too common. In order to survive this environment, a pharaoh had to be cunning, pragmatic, and ruthless. All of these were qualities that Cleopatra developed as she watched her father fight to keep hold of his kingdom. Beyond this struggle, we know very little about Cleopatra's early life. What we do know is that she was born around 69 BCE and was a direct descendant of Ptolemy I Soter. Her father, Ptolemy XII, was considered a weak pharaoh, as he focused not on leadership, but playing music. Instead of following in her father's artistic footsteps, Cleopatra took great interest in academics and language. She spoke at least seven different languages, including Egyptian. Over nearly three centuries of the dynasty's power, Cleopatra was the only Ptolemaic pharaoh to bother learning the native tongue. Historians also wrote that she took particular delight in conversing with foreign ambassadors. This seemed an astute characteristic for a future leader and belied Cleopatra's focus on politics. It seemed that even as a child, Cleopatra had her eyes set on the throne. Still, there was little indication that Cleopatra would actually inherit the crown. She wasn't seen as the pharaoh's heir. She was considered just another of his daughters. This is likely why the chroniclers paid little attention to her youth. Furthermore, ancient historians were busy recording the momentous events happening across the Mediterranean. While the might of Ptolemaic Egypt slipped away, a new superpower was on the rise, the Roman Republic. Rome had its eyes on Egypt for years. Whenever a Ptolemy was driven into exile, they generally fled to Rome and begged for help. Usually, this entailed flaunting their great wealth 
in order to curry favor with powerful Roman senators. This exposed the Ptolemies' vulnerability and laid bare all the riches Egypt had to offer. Over time, many ambitious senators discussed taking over Egypt for Rome. However, the idea rarely rose above mere talk. After the Punic Wars solidified Rome as the top superpower of the Mediterranean, the nation was consumed with internal conflicts. Soon, no senator wanted to waste valuable political energy on the topic of Egypt. That changed around the time Cleopatra was a young girl, when two significant political factions battled over the influence of Rome. One side was led by Gnaeus Pompeius Manius, or Pompey the Great. The other had Julius Caesar. At the time, Caesar and Pompey were the most powerful men in Rome. And while neither sought to be a supreme ruler, they did try to influence the Roman Senate. Eventually, the Roman leadership was split in their allegiance to each man. But instead of tearing Rome apart with civil war, they ultimately decided to form an alliance in 59 BCE. To seal the agreement, 47-year-old Pompey married Caesar's 24-year-old daughter, Julia. The alliance was tenuous, being more a matter of convenience than a long-term deal. Both men continued to focus on their own prestige, and Egypt became a valuable pawn in their game. That same year, Caesar threatened the annexation of Egypt in the Senate. Cleopatra's father, Ptolemy Auletes, prevented the move by bribing Caesar and Pompey. The total amounted to about half of Egypt's annual revenue. But the payments didn't placate the Senate. The next year, Rome annexed the island of Cyprus, which belonged to Egypt. The island's ruler, who was the pharaoh's brother, was so distraught over the invasion that he took his own life. Despite the tragedy, Auletes made no protest to the annexation, which disgusted the people of Alexandria. They despised the pharaoh's obvious weakness and his constant groveling to Rome. Above all, they were angry at the tax increase, which paid for the Roman bribe. So the city rose in rebellion and drove Auletes into exile. In his place, the people put one of his other daughters, Berenice IV, on the throne. Auletes traveled to Rome to protest the move. While it isn't certain, some historians agree that he took 11-year-old Cleopatra with him. If Cleopatra was in Rome, it would have been quite a shock for her. Alexandria was a beacon of sophistication and culture. The influence of the Greeks transformed the city into a hub for artists, philosophers, and scientists. By contrast, Rome would have seemed crude. The streets were home to thieves and thugs, living on the margins of the region's most powerful metropolis. Whether or not Cleopatra was physically with Aletes in Rome, her father's exile was a crash course in diplomacy and leadership. She watched as her father debased himself to the senators, whom Egyptians considered inferior to kings. In doing so, it made him look even weaker to his people. She realized a strong pharaoh had to balance the whims of Rome and Egypt to keep their throne and their life. 
But it didn't take long for Cleopatra to find out that was easier said than done. As tensions between Caesar and Pompey heated up, the Roman population went to war, and young Cleopatra was caught right in the middle. Coming up, Cleopatra uses Roman power to take the throne of Egypt. Hi, listeners. It's Carter from Parcast Network. It's the perfect time to grab yourself a second helping of the Spotify original from Parcast, Devious Dads. Our limited series is back with a new collection of episodes from across the network, exposing the unfortunate families whose patriarchs had a penchant for causing pain. Criminal masterminds, spies, murderers. Every Sunday on Spotify, Devious Dads features the fathers who chose to put the fear of God into those they tormented, including their own families. Some men raise children, others raise hell. Be sure to follow season two of Devious Dads free and only on Spotify. Now back to the story. In 58 BCE, a rebellion in Alexandria forced Pharaoh Ptolemy Aletes into exile in Rome. Some historians believe that he took his 11-year-old daughter Cleopatra with him. If Cleopatra did accompany her father in exile, she witnessed the perilous game Aletes played in order to return to the Egyptian throne. She learned that power in Rome and Egypt was a matter of political allegiance. After the rebellion, Aletes' daughter Berenice took power in Egypt. However, while she had the support of Egyptians, she still had to win over Rome. So she sent emissaries to form alliances with Roman senators. However, Aletes was already in Rome personally, working to ingratiate himself with the same senators. This gave him an advantage, which he maximized through violence. For two years, Aletes threatened or killed members of Berenice's delegations to prevent them from winning over the Romans. Aletes' tactics were scandalous, but they ultimately worked. He won the support of the Roman governor of Syria. The governor, called Gabinius, agreed to help Aletes reclaim power in Egypt, but at a price. He demanded a bribe equal to Egypt's entire annual income, and Aletes agreed. So in early 55 BCE, Gabinius's Roman army marched into Egypt and promptly returned Aletes to power. Meeting little resistance, Aletes had Berenice, his own daughter, arrested and executed. With Berenice out of the way, Aletes needed a co-ruler to reinforce his claim to the throne. In 52 BCE, he elevated 17-year-old Cleopatra to reign alongside him. Additionally, Aletes wrote in his will that upon his death, Cleopatra was to remain the co-regent alongside her younger brother, Theos. Aletes hoped that when he died, the transition of power would be smooth, though it happened sooner than he anticipated. In March 51 BCE, Aletes died suddenly, 
Unlike many of the Ptolemaic pharaohs before him, Aletes wasn't murdered. Rather, he seems to have died of an illness, though nobody knows for certain. With her father gone, young Cleopatra now ruled Egypt alongside her brother. According to tradition, this technically made him her husband. However, because Theos was only 10 years old, Cleopatra easily pushed him out of royal affairs. She could finally rule independently, though this meant she was now solely responsible for fixing Egypt's many problems. Thanks to Aletes' deals with the Romans, including Gabinius's bribe, the Egyptian government was deeply in debt. As a result, inflation skyrocketed and the economy tanked. And then Mother Nature turned on the teenage queen, too. In the summer of 50 BCE, the Nile River did not rise high enough to provide irrigation to Egyptian crops. After a failed harvest, outright famine was a terrible possibility for the country. During this era, keeping the population of Alexandria happy was more important than the rural farmers. Nearly all of the domestic rebellions occurred there, and if the city starved, the likelihood of a coup increased. So Cleopatra issued an emergency decree. All surplus grain was to be shipped to Alexandria. Anyone who disobeyed the order received the death penalty. While Alexandrians remained fed and content, the rest of Egypt suffered from high food prices and runaway inflation. While Cleopatra kept her nascent power, the economy still suffered. As if that wasn't enough, Cleopatra also had to deal with the Romans. She quickly realized that playing a geopolitical game with Rome was a lot more difficult and dangerous than she imagined. In Rome, the alliance between Caesar and Pompey was on shaky ground. When Julia, Caesar's daughter and Pompey's wife, died in 54 BCE, it essentially severed the agreement. Finally, in 49 BCE, tensions between the two men and their allies sent the Republic into civil war. Cleopatra knew that Egypt would not be immune to the Roman conflict. Choosing a side now could benefit her in the future. Pompey had been gentler towards her father than Caesar, so it made sense to side with him. As such, Cleopatra provided Pompey with 500 Roman mercenaries, 60 warships, and a large amount of grain. But this decision backfired on her, not because she chose the wrong side, but because she involved herself with Roman conflict at all. Alexandrians were outraged. In the face of Egypt's hardships, Cleopatra placated the Romans by giving them grain, while her own people went hungry. As dissent against Cleopatra mounted, young Theos's advisors saw an opportunity to make him the single ruler. As Theos was only 14 years old and inexperienced, he would need them to help rule, so their power would increase. Sometime near the end of 49 BCE, this opposition overthrew Cleopatra, though details of the coup are virtually non-existent. All we know was that Cleopatra was forced into exile while teenage Theos took the throne. Cleopatra was now in the same position as her father had been a few years before, 
But instead of running to Rome, she decided to take matters into her own hands. Cleopatra fled to Syria, and thanks to her charisma, she managed to raise an army of mercenaries. By the spring of 48 BCE, she marched toward the Nile Delta to reclaim her throne. While Cleopatra made her way back to Alexandria, Caesar and Pompey had their climactic showdown in Rome. Against all odds, Caesar won a shocking victory at the Battle of Pharsalus. In the wake of defeat, Pompey and a handful of his supporters retreated to Egypt. As Pharaoh, Theos couldn't believe his good luck. He'd been handed an opportunity to influence Roman politics directly. Pompey was looking for refuge in Egypt, but Caesar was now the undisputed leader of Rome. Theos had to choose which man to support, and he did so violently. On September 28, 48 BCE, Theos agreed to let Pompey enter Egypt. However, the moment the former Roman leader stepped onto Egyptian soil, he was ambushed and stabbed to death. Theos had treacherously chosen to side with Caesar. He believed that the best way to win Caesar's favor was if he murdered the Romans' greatest foe. He was wrong. Four days later, Caesar arrived in Egypt to chase down Pompey. In a grand gesture, Theos presented Pompey's severed head. He expected a grateful Caesar to reward him. Instead, Caesar was outraged. They may have been political enemies, but Pompey was still a Roman. In his eyes, Pompey's murder was a monstrous crime. At least, so Caesar claimed. It's also possible that he was secretly relieved at the turn of events. Even if Pompey had surrendered, Caesar would have had the awkward political burden of dealing with his fallen enemy. But now, Caesar could put all the blame for Pompey's death on a foreign king, which allowed him to keep his own hands clean. Whether Caesar's anger was real or not, it was obvious that Theos made a major blunder, one that would benefit his exiled sister, Cleopatra. As Cleopatra planned her strike against Theos, she received word that Caesar wanted to settle the family dispute. Obviously, Theos's treachery proved that he was incapable of being Egypt's sole ruler. Caesar wished to have Cleopatra return to Alexandria as co-pharaoh. Hoping to prevent this, Theos ordered guards to patrol the city and arrest his sister on sight. When Cleopatra learned of the order, she decided to use deception in order to see Caesar. According to the ancient historian Plutarch, Cleopatra was rolled into a rug. From there, a servant smuggled Cleopatra into the royal palace. Once she revealed herself to Caesar, she immediately charmed the Roman general. Many historians have speculated about how Cleopatra snuck into the palace and what exactly she did in order to win over Caesar. Some have claimed that Cleopatra knew that Caesar was a womanizer and thus seduced him on that first night. Others claim that her wit convinced Caesar that she was the more politically adept leader. She may have even promised Caesar that Egypt's wealth could help him pay off the debts he incurred from the Civil War. 
It was likely a mix of the two, though nobody knows for sure. All we know is that by the end of that first night, they were lovers and allies. The next morning, Theos was shocked to learn that Cleopatra was back in Alexandria. In a fit of rage, he tried to galvanize Alexandrians against Caesar. Refusing to be intimidated, Caesar marched before the Egyptian royal assembly and read Aletes will. It confirmed that the brother and sister were to jointly rule as co-pharaohs, which was to put an end to Theos's uprising against him. It's possible Caesar intended to allow Theos to remain as co-leader to placate Theos's allies. He likely believed it would save Egypt from erupting into a civil war of its own. But Caesar's meddling in Egyptian affairs backfired. Theos and his supporters refused to acknowledge the will. Not only that, Cleopatra's 14-year-old sister Arsinoe decided she wanted to be queen, too. Theos and Arsinoe joined forces to rid themselves of Cleopatra and Caesar. They seized control of the Egyptian army, which vastly outnumbered Caesar's forces, and marched on Alexandria. By the end of 48 BCE, Theos and Arsinoe's army had the city under siege. If their forces moved in for the kill, Cleopatra and Julius Caesar had nowhere to hide. Coming up, the siege of Alexandria decides the fate of Egypt. Now back to the story. Throughout 48 BCE, 21-year-old Cleopatra fought to reclaim her throne after her younger brother Theos deposed her. As the Roman civil war bled into Egypt, Cleopatra sought help from Julius Caesar, and the two became lovers. Unfortunately, Caesar's support of Cleopatra resulted in Theos forming an alliance with another sister, Arsinoe. Together, they raised an army and besieged the lovers within Alexandria's palace walls. For the next four months, Cleopatra and Caesar remained trapped inside. While we have little record of what Cleopatra did to fight off her siblings, we do know that Caesar managed to sneak out messages to Rome. These messages called for reinforcements, which finally arrived sometime in the spring of 47 BCE. Once he received the news that his relief forces were there, Caesar slipped out of Alexandria and joined his men. Before long, the Romans and the Egyptians clashed along the Nile River. When the dust settled, Caesar was victorious. And in the midst of the battle, 15-year-old Theos drowned in the Nile. Arsinoe was eventually arrested and sent to Italy. With Theos and Arsinoe defeated, no one stood in Cleopatra's way. She retook the throne as pharaoh and shored up her power by making her 12-year-old brother, Philopater, her co-ruler. Caesar also helped solidify Cleopatra's regime. Before he returned to Rome, Caesar left three Roman legions to be permanently garrisoned in Egypt. These troops were sworn to protect Cleopatra. Not long after his departure, Cleopatra produced an heir. In the summer of 47 BCE, Cleopatra gave birth to a son who came to be called Caesarion. 
While the Roman troops and an heir certainly helped her claim to power, Cleopatra understood that she needed to appease her people. Learning from earlier mistakes, she immediately set about a goodwill campaign. Her top priority was keeping Egypt's priestly class happy. They still had tremendous influence and wealth in the country. At Dendera, roughly 500 miles south of Alexandria, Cleopatra funded the completion of a great temple to the goddess Hathor. Hathor was an astute choice. She was a mother goddess, and Cleopatra likely felt a special affinity toward her. Or, perhaps as Pharaoh, Cleopatra saw herself as the mother of Egypt. Building more temples became a notable trend throughout Cleopatra's reign. During these construction projects, she sometimes had herself depicted among the gods and goddesses. Furthermore, unlike previous Ptolemaic rulers, Cleopatra embraced Egyptian heritage. By including herself among the Egyptian deities, even though she was ethnically Greek, Cleopatra forged a link between herself and her subjects. Cleopatra's policy of honoring Egyptian traditions paid off. In the wake of Theos's death, her popularity appeared to rebound. It was also possible that the earlier famine had subsided. This, in turn, would have helped improve the economy. For all of these reasons, by 46 BCE, 23-year-old Cleopatra felt secure in her position as pharaoh. In fact, she was so confident that when Julius Caesar invited her to leave Egypt and come to Rome, she accepted. Certainly, there were obvious political reasons to go, since the two were allies and she needed Rome's continued support. But there was likely a personal element, too. Caesar was the father of Cleopatra's child, and his intelligence and wit matched her own. His incredible power and fame were certainly intoxicating, especially for a powerful and famous queen. Whatever her reasons, in 46 BCE, Cleopatra traveled to Rome. But she wasn't alone. She also brought her son, Caesarion. Her brother, Philopater, also joined them, although this was likely to keep tabs on him in case he got any ideas about seizing the throne in Egypt. Cleopatra's presence in Rome was a major source of gossip among the Roman elite. Seeing a foreign queen was exciting enough, but her affair with the most powerful man in Rome was even more titillating. Caesar, despite being married, made no attempt to hide their affair. He even dedicated a golden statue of Cleopatra in a Roman shrine. While the celebration was undoubtedly flattering, Cleopatra didn't realize that her presence added to growing resentment towards Caesar. This resentment didn't come from ordinary Romans, but from a small group of elite senators, which made it even more dangerous. For generations, the Roman Republic had been run by men competing with each other for military glory and a handful of top government jobs. But as Caesar's influence and power grew, those men believed their opportunities were about to be lost forever. On top of that fear, many of these disgruntled senators had sided with Pompey during the Civil War. Now, they convinced themselves that Caesar was aiming to make himself a king, which was antithetical to everything the Senate stood for. Caesar's affair with Cleopatra added fuel to this fire. 
They claimed he wanted to change the laws so he could marry Cleopatra and make her son Caesarion his heir. After that, they said he would move the Roman capital to Alexandria and transform himself into an imperial monarch. Above all, many senators hated Cleopatra. They despised the fact that they had to pay homage to a foreign queen. They believed supporting monarchs was un-Roman-like. It was a serious blow to their pride. In their eyes, Cleopatra represented the future they feared, foreign, feminine, and tyrannical. They were determined to prevent it at all costs. So, on March 15, 44 BCE, a cabal of 60 men attacked Caesar during a meeting of the Senate. The conspirators stabbed him 23 times, killing him within seconds. Caesar's assassination was an earth-shattering event for the Mediterranean world. Cleopatra must have been shocked by her lover's murder, just like the rest of Rome. It's quite possible she feared that the city would devolve into violence or that the assassins would come after her and her son. Luckily for her, Caesar's killers didn't launch a purge of his supporters. The conspirators were convinced they had the moral high ground and the city would rally to their cause. They also didn't have much of a plan beyond killing Caesar. In the wake of the assassination, they believed that the power vacuum would work itself out in the Senate. As such, Cleopatra was safe. Once the initial shock died down, she settled in to watch events unfold in Rome. The political landscape could change radically, and she had to wait and see who would emerge as the new power in the city before choosing her new allegiances. Two factions arose in the wake of Caesar's murder. The first consisted of Caesar's political supporters and client officials, anyone who had benefited from Caesar's success. This faction coalesced behind Caesar's right-hand man, 39-year-old Marcus Antonius, or Mark Antony. He was a general who had fought alongside Caesar in both the Civil War and other military campaigns. The other faction was made up of the assassins and those who benefited from Caesar's death. They were led by the conspirators Marcus Junius Brutus and his brother-in-law Gaius Cassius Longinus. However, all involved were in an awkward position. No one seemed to know who had power now, and none were willing to risk grabbing for it themselves, lest they be murdered too. Most important of all, the Republic had just survived a bloody civil war. The last thing either side wanted was a repeat of events. So the two factions agreed to a truce, and the assassins were pardoned. With the dust seemingly settled in Rome, Cleopatra returned to Egypt. She wanted to ensure her own government wasn't destabilized by Caesar's death, even if it required another murder. In the middle of 44 BCE, Cleopatra's brother-husband, Philopater, died. Most historians agree that Cleopatra had him killed. After all, she couldn't afford anyone in Alexandria using Caesar's death as an excuse to rally opposition behind her brother. So, she got rid of him, and in his place made her son Caesarion her co-ruler. But while Cleopatra was shoring up her power in Egypt, 
the peace in Rome began to fall apart. Caesar's will revealed that he had adopted his great-nephew Gaius Octavius, called Octavian, as his son and heir. Thus far, the 18-year-old boy had lived in complete obscurity. However, upon learning that he was Caesar's heir, Octavian decided to carry on his great-uncle's legacy and take power. However, Octavian wasn't alone. Mark Antony also wished to be Caesar's successor. Still, they both recognized that instead of battling each other, they should punish Caesar's assassins first. By going after Brutus, Cassius, and the rest of the conspirators, Octavian and Antony were lighting a powder keg between the two factions of Roman leadership. Once again, Cleopatra was going to find herself in the middle of a Roman civil war. And this time, it would decide more than just Rome's future. It would decide her ultimate fate. Thanks for listening to Dictators. Next week, we'll explore Cleopatra's struggle to maintain power as a Roman war reaches Egypt. You can find all episodes of Dictators and all other Spotify originals from Parcast for free on Spotify. We'll see you next time. Dictators is a Spotify original from Parcast. It is executive produced by Max Cutler. Sound designed by Juan Borda, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Trent Williamson, Carly Madden, and Bruce Katovich. This episode of Dictators was written by Devin Hughes, edited by Joe Guerra and Andrew Messer, with fact-checking by Anya Bayerly and research by Bradley Klein. Dictators stars Kate Leonard and Richard Rossner. Hi, it's Carter from Parcast Network. Devious Dads is back for a second season and a new collection of hair-raising episodes from across our catalog of shows. Every Sunday, meet the parents who were anything but protectors. Follow Devious Dads free and only on Spotify. Hi, listeners. It's Vanessa. Exciting news. Parcast's first book, Cults, Inside the World's Most Notorious Groups and Understanding the People Who Join Them, is now available for pre-order at parcast.com slash cults. Thanks to your support, we've compiled years of research, insights, and a catalog of case studies to expose more about these cults and the people behind them than ever before. Details which haven't even been explored in our Cults podcast. Visit parcast.com slash cults to pre-order your copy of Cults, Inside the World's Most Notorious Groups and Understanding the People Who Joined Them.